Hi, hello, what is up? Welcome back to Girl You Haven't Heard, a true crime and black history podcast where we discuss things from a critical decolonial perspective, but above all else, without all of the unnecessary propaganda, because you. I'm Jada. If you don't already know, you should know, because it's been a long ass time that we've been doing this, but welcome back. Happy to see you. And this week, we're going to get into the case of Cody Severite, who unfortunately, like Crystal Tamman, was hit and killed by a drunk driving Winnipeg police officer. So Cody Severite was born on March 1st, 1994, and he belonged to the Wewasigapo First Nation. I believe I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I'm very sorry. I tried my best, but it'll also be in the description so you can see what it is for yourself if I am saying it incorrectly. But Cody was known as a super loving and caring person. He cherished all of his family and friends, but especially his nieces and nephews. He was extremely well known amongst his community, and he was known as being very outgoing, very happy, very bubbly. Uh, his grandma, Gloria Liebold, described him as a very happy, very like happy-go-lucky type person, and she said that he is or was just a beautiful little person. She refers to him as a little person because that's her grandson right now, because he was like actually a small guy. He was quite a big guy, but. Cody was very generous and he was always willing to help others at any point with anything. He was very, very giving. Um, he had an infectious smile and it was nearly impossible to not light up at the sign of his face or the minute you felt his presence because he had just such a warm and loving energy. Cody was a huge music lover and country music was one of his favorites because it reminded him of his parents. His mom, Julia Hunter, passed away in 2012 after she was found dead in a stairwell. Um, and no one was ever charged with her death, unfortunately. And the family still has absolutely no answers as to what happened to her. So just a very tragic situation. And rap music was a close second uh, for obvious reasons, right? It's fun. It's cool. It's good to listen to. But some of his favorite songs were Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn and Without You by David Guetta. So as I mentioned, he really liked his nieces and nephews. Like he adored them, like loved them so, so much. And he just really loved kids in general. And he really wanted a career where he could work closely with kids. And as someone who worked with kids briefly, I just did it for a summer, I can say like anyone who wants to work with kids long term has a, such a pure heart and you have to have infinite levels of patience and such amazing self-control because sometimes they'll do things and you'll just be like, oh my God, like I just want to get up and walk away, right? But you have to compose yourself to be able to handle the child. Like it can be a lot sometimes. So in October of 2017, Cody was extremely excited for his future, right? Like as any young person would be, he had just moved into a brand new apartment in downtown Winnipeg and he was figuring out what the next steps would be for him to actually get back into school. Um, he had just moved into the apartment with his girlfriend who was pregnant with their first child. So he kind of wanted to go back to school, get things together before the child came because he wanted to be the best father possible. He was super, super excited when he found out that his girlfriend was pregnant because, like, as I mentioned, he loved kids and he was super excited to be a really good dad. And everyone knew that he was just going to be the best father because he had been waiting to have his own kids because he loved his nieces and nephews so much. So now we're just going to get into a little bit of background information about Justin Holes and like boo tomatoes to him. But in 2009, Justin began working for the WPS and... In my research, it was kind of unclear if he started working with them as a criminal investigator or if that was a role he was later promoted to. But 
anyways, he was just, he was with them for eight years. Now, there's not really a lot of information about him out there, so we're just going to fast forward about eight years from when he first started working to October 17th, 2017. Justin got off of work at around 4.30, and he met with some friends at a bar just before 5. Uh, it's unclear if he met with other officers. I'm sure that this detail was intentionally omitted by Justin because he didn't want to snitch on anyone. Um, because the other officers, if there were other officers there, they would have been liable as well. But it's very common for Winnipeg police officers to immediately get off of work and just start drinking and then drive home drunk. Like, I don't understand why this is acceptable or why it continues to be a common practice, especially after what happened with Crystal um, Tamman so many years ago. But anyways, back on track, back on track. So he got off work around 4.30, went and met up with some friends at a nearby bar just before 5, so not that long in between. And just a couple hours later, at around 8 p.m., he left and headed home after drinking for three hours straight with his friends. So they just let him get in the car after they'd all been drinking. They're just like, yeah, okay, cool, bye, you know, which idiots. But he hopped into his 2006 Pontiac, which weighed in at 3,305 pounds. I always find it kind of interesting to look at the make and model of the car but also just how much the car actually weighs because it's kind of insane to think about someone being drunk and having this much weight that they're responsible for right like this is, can cause a lot of damage and unfortunately it did so justin you know drunk and being dumb he was going almost a hundred kilometers through the streets of downtown winnipeg ridiculously fast like that's how fast you go on the highway like you should not be going that fast especially down the streets of downtown winnipeg right like first of all he's super super drunk right so he's not even being careful while he's driving at this speed which how could you be careful if you're driving at this speed and the limit downtown is 50 kilometers so he's going double the limit and he's driving super wild right like crazy wild as he's approaching main street there's two people crossing the street and justin continues to speed up as he heads toward them so before i get into talking about the details of the crash i just want to make it like super clear that the only public version of events that are out there are justin's version of events and like based on justin's side of the story um so i just want to make it clear like this is a potentially what could have happened but we also know that the cops have been known to lie and lie to the courts, especially about what happened or their recollection of events so that their ultimate punishment is less intense. So this very well could be exactly what happened. It also could not be. I'm not super sure. I don't believe that this is exactly what happened just in terms of like the speeds and everything. But we'll get into that. So like I mentioned, um, Justin is speeding down downtown Winnipeg and he's on uh, Maine. So as he's driving, there's two people crossing the road, right? Like I said, and Cody was one of these two people. Cody was actually crossing Main Street near Sutherland Avenue. He's crossing the street um, at around 8.03 p.m. So he was actually like right in front of the Sutherland Hotel when Justin is going super, super fast, right? And Justin says that he swerved to avoid one of the people who was crossing the street, but in swerving to avoid one, he was swerving to hit Cody at at least 76, 
mile like kilometers per hour and this is the minimum it didn't say the maximum so he could have very well been going a lot faster than this and considering he was going like 100 the rest of the time i find it hard to believe that all of a sudden he's just going 76 like i don't think that's what happened personally but so he hit cody while going at least 76 kilometers per hour in his 3000 pound car so of course because of the speed in which he was hit and the force in which he was hit cody went flying across the street um and he actually landed on a concrete block so his skull was immediately fractured and his neck was broken um, and he actually flew about 16 meters before landing on the con on the concrete block justin knowing that he just hit and seriously injured someone does not stop he does not pull over and he doesn't even slow down and be careful this man goes and speeds up to 129 kilometers per hour right going faster than ever he had he had not been going this fast at any point allegedly right like he very well could have been but they didn't say that and just keep in mind he's super drunk so he still can very easily crash and hit or injure somebody else right just being super reckless not caring at all so about 12 to 15 minutes after he hit Cody, he actually parked somewhere and then called, you know, his police buddies to say that he hit someone. So he remained in that spot. It doesn't say exactly where, but he remained there and he was detained a short time later at around 831. So he hit Cody just after eight o'clock uh, and then they didn't arrest him until 830. But of course, he was arrested by his friends and fellow colleagues who did not initially report that he was, in fact, intoxicated. But at around 8.55 p.m., because they picked him up, right, arrested him, took him to the station. Uh, they didn't actually arrest him. They just had him detained at this point. Took him to the station. And at about 8.55 p.m., other officers nearby who weren't the arresting officers, they could smell the alcohol coming off of him. Like, you know how drunk you have to be for people to be able to just smell the stench of alcohol coming off of you i just oh and then at only at 9 p.m so at least half an hour after he had been initially picked up he was formally arrested for impaired driving uh, justin was not given a breathalyzer test upon returning to the station his fellow oinkers waited a couple hours to take the test in hopes that he would then be under the legal limit and other lies could be told about justin's state right they're trying to cover for him right from the start right from the jump even though he literally just hit and seriously injured somebody so if he had taken the breathalyzer immediately and failed, then it would have resulted in automatic charges. And that's something that I kind of explained in the previous episodes where we talked more about the other officers who were also cut, caught drunk driving this same year. So I would recommend going back and listening to those if you're looking for more insights about that. So Cody was later taken to the hospital and he was in critical condition. Um, but due to the extent of his injuries and the fact that it had taken... A minute for people to get there and kind of help him um, he passed away Cody's aunt uh, Betty Ann Fraser says that it's really sad it's really tragic how we lost Cody she says he didn't deserve to leave the way he did but he sure did make an impact on everyone's lives and I just thought that that was so heartbreaking but also beautiful at the same time like yes they lost him in this really tragic way but they're still doing everything that they can to remember the beautiful person that he was and the beautiful energy that he brought to life 
so like I mentioned, the two officers who arrested Justin, they didn't give him a breathalyzer for about three to four hours after, right? So then, of course, he was far under the legal limit because they waited just as much time, if not longer, than he had actually been out drinking. So the two arresting officers who were involved with the case and tried to help cover everything up from the start, they were put on leave and investigated by the by the IIU but of course like of course the IIU cleared them of any wrongdoings right like insert I roll you know like what else do we expect from them at this point and the police don't publicly comment on internal matters they say so it's unclear if anything ever happened to these two officers despite their clear attempts at covering up for a man responsible for Cody's murder right like that's it is that's what it is it was murder he intentionally swerved to avoid one person and then by doing that had to swerve and hit Cody so he says he had to he's making it seem like he had no other option like there was no option to just not hit anybody but anyways back back focused back focused uh not only did the officer not give uh, Justin the breathalyzer until hours later they also did not go to the scene of the crash immediately after they were called so if you want to hear how it, like I'm saying, oh my God, of course the IAU didn't do anything. If you want to hear more about that, there's also an episode that I released about the IAU and how shitty they are. So you could go back and listen to that if you're interested. Um, but now that the two officers who had arrested Justin were being investigated by the IIU, they did not have to testify in any of the proceedings and their version of events or a version of that night. They were never made public because it never had to be. So to me, it seemed like getting the IIU to investigate them, they knew that they weren't going to actually do anything or charge them, but they just did this in a further effort to protect Justin. So after he was, Justin was arrested, he was initially charged with impaired driving causing death and failing to remain at the scene of an accident. Um, and he was immediately put on administrative leave with pay, which is like, ew, he just killed somebody. How are you going to give him leave with pay? But anyways, I digress. On November 21st, Justin was charged with dangerous driving and driving with a blood alcohol content level over the legal limit. Um, as well as dangerous driving causing death. Now, after the new charges were laid, uh, Cody's grandmother, Gloria, the one who I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, she said that she is glad the officer got more charges and she says that she's glad he's going to have to deal with them. She said, I think he should go to jail. He did a terrible thing. He took an innocent life. Only 23 years old. We loved our little grandson. And she also called for an apology from Justin for his actions. She also said, we loved Cody. This little guy was just starting his life. Now, unlike Leslie McRae, who we discussed in part one of the officer's drunk driving, um, Justin's lawyer's request for an out-of-town prosecutor was approved, and the Saskatchewan Crown was actually brought in to prosecute Justin. Now, in the articles, they make it seem like he came in and took over, but that's not really what happened. Um, prosecutor William Burge, I think is how you say his name, or Berg, I'm not really sure, but anyways, was brought in and it was the assistant deputy attorney general of Manitoba who made the request for his presence to be there. And I just need it to be very clear that like he just joined the case. He wasn't the only prosecutor involved or responsible. So how his presence was really beneficial, I'm not really sure. 
But now someone who works for the court says that there's no written policy which outlines when an outside judge should be brought in. Uh, there's an assumption that all judges are capable of being impartial, which we all know is the furthest thing from the truth, especially when it comes to judges and dealing with police in Manitoba or in Winnipeg. Like, they always get off. They always get off. So Justin's main lawyer throughout this process is a man named Evan Breitenberg. And because of Evan, he was actually, like Justin, was actually able to plead guilty to the charge of dangerous driving causing death in exchange for all of the other charges, like every single other charge that I mentioned, to be stayed or dropped, basically. I personally feel that this is an unfair and ridiculous compromise that the police are able to reach literally all of the time due to the connections and loyalty to the crown. You can go back and listen to any of the other episodes that were released recently if you don't really understand what I'm talking about. But if it comes down to the choice of the court, they're they're going to do everything that they can to make sure the officers serve minimal jail time if any jail time is necessary at all. And they're going to do whatever they can to bring the charges down to the absolute bare minimum just so that it doesn't look that bad but it still looks pretty bad you know especially if you're looking at it through an abolitionist lens so of course uh, crystal tammon's husband was solicited for media interviews after the situation happened with cody um, and he actually said that he's appalled that yet another winnipeg police officer has been arrested for impaired driving causing death He said that he hoped that things would have changed after his wife's death, but he said it never changes. So if it doesn't change, they don't think it's important enough to change. So it's going to continue until the organization, the association, someone steps up and says that that's enough. He says that his thoughts are never good when he hears things like this. It's like it's happening all over again. Um, And he actually made a point of showing up to the vigils in which Cody's family held to show his support, which I thought was quite sweet and it was quite genuine because uh, it's something that he didn't have to do. But it just shows that his heart is in the right place and that he doesn't really, he doesn't give a fuck about the WPS, you know what I mean? He cares more about the people that they're actively harming. He's always going to be on the side of like, well, people need justice and the WPS just keep doing whatever the hell they want. So when is that going to change? And ultimately that's not it's not going to change if we're being completely honest, right? Like the WPS is going to just keep doing what it's doing until they're just, they cease to exist. So Cody's sister, Terry Brass, um, said at the second vigil in which the family hosted that she believed that Justin should have been there to say sorry to the family. In an interview Terry did with CBC, she discussed how the situation with Cody was obviously very difficult very hard right she just lost her brother but this was also especially difficult for her because terry's father now it's unclear if this is also cody's father but i'm just assuming so like but their father glenn hool was struck and killed by a fire truck like this is horrific And the fact that now two of her family members have been struck and killed at the hands of so-called service providers and actors of the state is absolutely terrible, but highlights a real issue that will be addressed like later on. The reports done in regards to her father's death say that he was lying in the middle of the road and the fireman tried to brake, but he didn't know he hit anyone. 
reading this really confused me uh, because it was like you couldn't even try and tell a good lie like this is just a really bad bold-faced lie like why would he be breaking like why would he try and stop the truck if he didn't know he hit anyone or if he didn't think he was gonna hit anyone like that doesn't even make sense at all but terry believes that the investigation wasn't properly done and i 100 percent agree with her on that she later went on to say that the person driving thought her dad was a piece of garbage like a garbage bag on the street now she didn't explicitly mention this next part but this is just my assumption and i could be wrong but i'm assuming that like this situation is very painful and very triggering because justin kind of did the same thing to cody right like had justin stopped and immediately called for help who knows how things could have been different who knows if cody would have been okay you know like there's just so many different possibilities but ultimately justin did treat cody like a piece of garbage in the street and he wasn't his life had extreme value you know and his loved ones miss him greatly and justin didn't even think about any of that justin was just being an idiot okay so when it's all said and done justin was sentenced to 30 months in jail in 2019 for the pled guilty charge as mentioned before and this was actually a joint submission of course made by the crown and the defense for a 30 month which is two and a half years sentence and as well as like a three-year driving ban so he wouldn't be able to drive for his obviously this is what pissed me off okay because if he has two and a half years that he's supposed to be in jail plus a three-year driving ban then that means for those two and a half years he's in jail that's part of his driving ban or it's not like it wasn't super clear so it's like then when he was supposed to get out would it have only been six months left on the driving ban like anyways during the sentencing justin actually did apologize to cody's family and friends who were present in the courtroom he said that and i quote i think about the accident every day and i'll have to live with it for the rest of my life I know words can't fix what happened, but I am truly sorry. I'm not sure how the family feels about this apology. Uh, it's kind of unclear, but to me, this apology was made more about him than it was about really genuinely apologizing to any of Cody's loved ones. But okay, like, I think about the accident every day and I'll have to live with it for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, you will, but you didn't actually lose anyone. Like, this is your fault. Like, you made the decision to get in that car. You made the decision to drive recklessly. You made the decision to drink and drive. Cody was just walking across the street and you took his life. Like, it's not, it's not the same. You saying that I have to live with it for the rest of my life, you know? So after Justin's sentencing, uh, the police chief said that Justin was no longer employed with the WPS. And it's unclear if this was like an automatic thing because of the nature of the charges, um, if he was fired or if he chose to if he chose to leave on his own or if he was actually able to retire and then get the benefits from that. Like it's just all like a question mark, which is kind of irritating. But police chief dummy Danny Smith said that he hoped the family of Cody Severite are provided with some comfort in the knowledge that they were spared the anguish of a trial. 
this i say is ridiculous and this is a really ignorant comment for him to make because it's so clear that the lack of trial was done to protect the wps and to protect justin and it has nothing to do with the family so to act as if they did it with the family in mind is ridiculous and insulting right like had anyone else done this they would have received a legitimate sentence and i'm not advocating for prison like that's not what i'm saying but in instances where you have families who have been harmed or who have lost loved ones at the hands of the police, like you put your own personal views to the side and you just advocate for whatever they want. So if they they wanted jail time for him, right? So 30 months for killing somebody is nothing. That's like, a I can't even say a slap on the wrist. It's like a poke. It's nothing. The truth about what went on would have been forced to come out in the trial, but with this option, right with them just accepting a plea or him accepting a plea or there being a joint statement or joint plea or whatever made agreed upon whatever it may have been uh the truth would have been forced to come out in trial but with this option they were able to just release their own version of events and it's unclear how true these statements are since they had complete control over the narrative but now get this this is the worst part this is the worst part the most frustrating parts of I would say the conclusion obviously the most frustrating part of all of this is the fact that cody died and it was an unnecessary death that didn't need to happen but this man justin was granted parole on april 15th of 2020. yeah yep he was set to have day parole on april 30th of 2020 and he was granted full parole less than a month later on August 29th, 2020. He served less than 25% of his sentence before he was able to get out. So even though he was only given two and a half years, he didn't even serve anywhere close to that at all. So even though he wasn't technically a police officer, he's still getting all of the treatment that a police officer would get. So during this parole hearing, actually more came out about what he did and what he remembers from that night so it's clear that he wasn't fully forthcoming and honest throughout the initial process because it would have resulted in harsher consequences for him so he actually admitted that he drank and this i don't know if this is true i feel like this isn't true i feel like it's more than this but he says that he drank approximately four pints of beer that night and he admitted that the breathalyzer test was completed four hours after the incident and it it showed that his blood alcohol level was below the legal limit because it was administered so far after uh, the time he had been arrested. He said that he would have failed the breathalyzer had it been given to him right after he was arrested. And this would have resulted in automatic charges, right? Like we talked about before. He said that he couldn't stay in the area after he hit Cody because it was allegedly a known security threat group bar which i thought was such a weird way of phrasing it but that basically just means like he was calling it a gang bar so he was like yeah uh he said he was wearing a golf shirt that showed that he was affiliated with law enforcement so he didn't want to stay basically because he could have easily just pulled over to the side in his car called you know done whatever or pulled over to a side street and called like he's just making excuses at this point but this also upon hearing that he even though he was drunk and he was driving all crazy, driving all fast, driving all erratic, but he was conscious enough to know where he was at, right? So this made me wonder 
if he intentionally hit Cody because of this statement, right? Like if you're downtown or you're in the North End, like police, they just stereotype it all together. Um, but a lot of indigenous people live down there and a lot of like indigenous men, uh, they just assume to be in gangs, even if they're not doing anything, right? Like Cody was just minding his business. Um, and, but this made me wonder if he intentionally hit Cody, right? Like he said that there were two people and he swerved to avoid one. So what made him decide to hit Cody and not the other person? Like, did he just assume that because Cody was indigenous and a man that he was a part of said group or said gang that he says goes at this bar so that it's a known gang bar? Like, is it possible that he was driving recklessly in an area which he knew to be heavily populated with known security threat groups uh, in hopes to scare or harm someone? It just made me think about it differently because if you're conscious enough to know where you're at, that means you're conscious enough to know what you're doing, right? Like, but the parole board says that since Justin is a low risk to reoffend and has expressed remorse for Cody's death, uh, that it was good to let him out. He said that he, apparently, he stopped drinking the night of the crash, but this is just his word. There was nothing to kind of confirm or prove that this is in fact true. So we could very well just be saying it and making it up and they're taking it at face value because I know, like, obviously he was in jail, but, like, you can still get access to liquor in jail. You get access to everything. So the parole board also says that his release will contribute to the protection of society by facilitating his reintegration into society as a law-abiding citizen. This, this line really, it really got my blood boiling. It really pissed me off because he literally just hit and killed somebody. He was just driving 100 kilometers an hour through the streets of downtown Winnipeg. Like, being erratic, being reckless after drinking for hours straight with his buddies. Like, I don't know what part of you, this man comes off as that he would protect society, right? But this is the treatment because he's a former police officer. They're like, yeah, you're going to keep us safe. Like, he just killed somebody. He literally just killed somebody. There's nothing safe about that. But the conditions of his parole were that uh, he was not allowed to consume, possess, or purchase alcohol. Um, they said that his use of alcohol before his charge impaired his judgment and limited his ability to safely operate his car. So remaining sober is an important risk management strategy to reduce his risk to reoffend, which I got confused about because I was like, didn't y'all just say that he's a low risk to reoffend? So if it's already low, why are you trying to reduce it? further right right you're insinuating that if he were to start drinking again that he would drive drunk again right that he would harm someone else right just weird shit uh but another condition of his parole was that he couldn't drive for three years right and i mentioned that um so it was three years after he got out it wasn't um three years like including his time in jail and uh, his sentence formally ends on April 29th, 2022. So literally at the end of this month, unfortunately. His aunt, Nancy Gabriel, said that her family lost trust in the police 
and the justice system throughout this whole process. She said, and I quote, I was so angry because cops are supposed to protect people, not leave them dead on the side of the road. So this doesn't really have a, an ideal ending, I'd say. Um, Cody's family is now left without Cody, and they're, even though there was a brief sentence, I wouldn't really call that justice in any sense, um, any sense at all. So actors of the state in Winnipeg have a real issue with racism, which is obvious and prevalent, but when such issues like bleed into areas like policing and healthcare, it creates even more problems. So like if paramedics, police, or fire trucks are called to the scene of an accident, if someone is visibly black or indigenous like to Turtle Island, they aren't guaranteed to receive the proper help in time of need, right? Like they're more likely to left there to be left there to die on their own, especially if it comes at the cost of protecting one of their own. I'm not saying that this is what happened with Cody, but the details like following Justin hitting him and then leaving and then what happened afterwards with Cody being there, kind of unclear. It's not talked about how fast um, help got to him, if if it was immediate, if it took a little bit longer, if it was only after Justin made the call that they pulled up, you know, like it's not clear because if it was only after Justin made the call, then like that's 15 minutes and that 15 minutes could have been literally life-saving. Like, so it's just wild to think about. Um, but also the fact that his family has now had two of their family members die at the hands of actors of the state is very telling. Like it just goes to show they don't actually protect. They cause a lot of harm which we already knew, but I think people forget more about like the firefighters and the paramedics, right? Even though they come off as somewhat better, like they still have the same problems with racism as the police do. They just don't have guns. Also, like the other officers who were caught drunk driving in 2017, whether they were charged or not, they were all able to maintain their employment with the WPS. And if they weren't like technically still employed, then they were just on like paid leave, which to me is like employment still. Like you're still working for them because you're getting paid by them. So I just wonder at what point can they no longer work with the WPS? Like is it after, is it when they have to serve jail time? Or are they still technically able to work with them afterwards and they just let them go for optics sake? Like, it's hard to figure out what the rules are, if there are even rules. I feel like with WPS, they just kind of make shit up as they go along because I don't understand how someone with charges, how charges of any kind are seen as like, okay, for them to have and still work for the WPS. Like, all of the officers who were caught drunk driving um, and the ones who were actually charged with something, they were able to just keep working with the police like nothing had ever happened. So it was confusing to me because you can't get hired to be an officer if you have existing charges, but you can continue to be an officer if you get charges while being an officer. Like, they literally just have a permanent get out of jail free card. Like, I just remembered the, like, you know, those little Monopoly cards. It's like, is that what it is once you become a, a Winnipeg police officer? Because if so, I could see why so many people do it. You can do literally whatever the hell you want and it doesn't even matter. Um, and then you get to act like you're protecting and serving when all you're doing is causing more harm and killing people and ruining the lives of literally so many just because you can. 
also this whole idea of like justin oh just being drunk and not knowing what he was doing bs boo tomatoes to all of that that's obviously not true because he was conscious enough to be like oh shit like i just hit an indigenous man and i'm outside of a bar with a lot of indigenous people and i'm wearing a cop shirt like this could be bad for me let me speed off so it's like so you knew where you were at you knew what you were doing like it really seems to me and this is just my own personal opinion i'm not saying that this is what it is but it really seems to me like he knew what he was doing like he was aware like he was drunk and in his drunk state he was like you know what let me just go scare some people let me go you know see what i could do and then once he got down there it's like he was literally playing human bowling like how the idea of this man literally seeing two people crossing the street he didn't really try to slow down all that much because he was going super super fast he didn't try to swerve out of the way so he didn't hit anybody he didn't try to you know like he swerved to intentionally hit cody right like he tried to frame it as oh well i swerved to avoid this person but in order to swerve to avoid that person you had to intentionally hit cody you didn't swerve to avoid them both right so it's just it's sus it doesn't make sense and that's why i don't really trust the version of events that they came out with on their own like it's very clear that it's to cater to their own narrative um and then that also just oh my gosh just so many things about this case is so frustrating and i just feel so terribly for cody's family because they're like there's nothing that they can really do everything has been done and they're being told that this is justice and it's not it's not at all but anyways it's just making me think about the iiu and like the two officers right at the beginning who were they weren't charged but they were being investigated by the iiu and when you're investigated by the iiu you're not required to legally participate in any court proceedings that go on to do with that case so that means that they didn't have to talk about what they actually saw or what actually went on that night. That was another means of them protecting themselves. Them not allowing the case to go to trial, again, means of protecting themselves that had nothing to do with the family. That was just so that the truth wouldn't come out. So then the true extent of the cover-up, in my opinion, wouldn't be released. Like, that's really what I feel. I really think that Justin was driving recklessly with the intention of scaring uh indigenous people downtown that's really what i think it was especially because of where he was at when he was going this speed i don't know if he intended to kill someone but that literally doesn't matter because he did it right like so he was driving recklessly while drunk with the intent of causing harm to someone and because of the area he was in i'm assuming he was trying to cause harm to an indigenous person um and that's how things ended up the way that they ended up i think it's also like i enjoyed um reading that crystal tamman's husband right supported cody's family but i don't understand why they continually request uh interviews and such from him because it's like this is very traumatic for this man to always have to talk about his wife's death especially at the hands of the wps especially when they keep doing the same shit like and i also think it's kind of like there were a lot of articles with his point of view in it which is not a bad thing like it just is what it is but i also just think that the fact that he's a white man plays a large role in that as well um because cody's family right like they didn't weigh in on other things they're not going to go to them 
for opinions on other cases or similar cases or things like that. So that was just like a little side note that uh, just came to mind. But that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I just want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Girl You Haven't Heard, where we talked about Cody Severite, um, his death and everything leading up to it. So we are, I say we as in like me, me and you, you know, us, we're back on a regular uploading schedule. So there will be a new episode every single Wednesday from this point going forward until I decide to take another break and, but I'll let you know when that is, but probably won't be for a minute. But next week's episode, it's going to be Black History Week. um, And we are going to be talking about the Young Street protests. So I would definitely recommend you tune back in for that. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next week. I'm so excited.